Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 489, and today we'll be talking about Storybook Susie from Summer Camp Island. I'm GC13. And I'm David. Oh, Susie knows how to tell a story, doesn't she? Well, I think she straight up wrote her own story, maybe did her own illustrations. But yeah, she really gets how to tell one. If she's the one who did the illustrations, then my compliments to her skills as an artist, because I loved that alternate art style they were doing while she was touring the world, eating the breads of various (laughs) cultures and looking at all the different ways that they immortalized those who wronged them. (laughs) Yep. And she narrated it with, uh, yeah, such a storybook quality, the way that she repeats that same line of, you know, the bread was good. (laughs) It was good, too. (laughs) We had on bread. We liked that a lot. (laughs) Just her and her frog, man. Oh, setting us up for number one anime heartbreak of all time. God, I, I was not expecting them to give us the angle that maybe Mildred is dead. That's a heartbreaking thing to put right here. (laughs) Yeah, that would put her into her 90s, which would be a respectable age, but, you know, very believable. And they put it in such a heart-wrenching way, too. I mean, Susie's been searching for her. She's annoyed. Inventing new swear words. (laughs) For a week. (laughs) But, oh, I love... Rosie, I don't know how I never noticed that it was her talking before. Uh, is this an anniversary? <laughs> do we need to do something for you? Ugh, so sad. Uh, but I, I call it an anime heartbreak, and I do not do that idly. For one, top ten anime betrayals joke. But also, like, the outfit that Susie is wearing as she's huh. riding to the frozen north looks so anime, and she even holds the broom, like, down to the ground. It it looks just like a sword in its scabbard. Mm, I love it. She also changed for this event. Like, she goes from uh, talking to Bassoon and then flies about 100 miles an hour from Massachusetts back over to London, which, by the way, I appreciate that she gives us an exact time so that we can calculate how fast a witch can go on broomstick. Yeah, I know that that was something we wondered about, the transatlantic flight time. Uh, that, well, that was, uh, she didn't do that after she met Bassoon. She'd already been riding for 80 years before she met Bassoon. But yeah, her first transatlantic flight took 33 hours, which was a pretty long time as far as transatlantic flights go. Right. No, I'm saying she changed her outfit, though, from the moment yep. she met Bassoon to then appearing back in London. Yeah, she goes, she goes from, uh, a nature girl, you know, she has discarded the boots for she must be one with nature. <laughs> to, she's got her boots, she's got her anime hero outfit, she's got her hair done up real nice. <laughs> I guess she was really ready for a confrontation. Maybe she encountered Oscar, a time-traveling Oscar, and that's where that haircut came from, because <laughs> that was a really nice do. Like, that's not a whim. <laughs> uh, that is a vision. Um, yeah, <laughs> I appreciate the callback. I, I appreciate the third wave pilgrims were <laughs> so frightened by Susie, they apparently either never got off the boat or they just waited until she left before they uh, debarked from the ship. And is this all just Mildred's doing? It's the only thing we've seen in the show that have given people suspicion of, of witches. I guess technology's just moving along. The clock shops are happening, the newspapers are printing their tiny print, and people just are growing wary of frogs falling from the sky, among other things. 
it's interesting just how it mirrors the our world so closely. It's hard to imagine, though, how this kind of world would have developed when there was such active magic and so many magical species everywhere. Mm, I think hatred against witches is just probably something they've had to deal with from time to time. You have that one ancestor of the hedgehogs who had to deal with witch hunters, and the third wave pilgrims were clearly anti-witch well before Mildred ever happened. Like, that was an establishment. They had a pamphlet, Witches Scare Me and So Can You, which I still to this day love the name on that pamphlet. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just crazy to me because, you know, Harvard was run by monsters, primarily, <laughs> at this time. And they were pretty chill dudes. Right, but like all the magical creatures went away. But I, I guess I can understand that it's very to the sidelines, this whole political social world of Summer Camp Island. And it just, you know, comes across occasionally. Well, I mean, if the monsters had not... It was magic that retreated, like, as a whole. So the monsters probably would have just turned into ordinary folks if they hadn't fled to Summer Camp Island. Which, that... It's weird to me, like, how that exactly works, that a species can just be overall magical, and, I mean, we're, we'll get more into the physics of it in the rest of the season, you know, determining what is magic and what isn't. Uh, it's confusing <laughs> to me. Like, I would have thought, oh, maybe their powers are magical, but sometimes the entire being is magical? Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever get a, a clear reading on that, I, because, like, the witches have to flee from uh, New York City to Summer Camp Island, or else they'll lose their magic and forget their witches. But the aliens are just fine chilling. The Miracle Rabbit is just fine chilling. Like, don't know where God Monster lives. I guess she fled to the caves beneath Summer Camp Island, but she was fine. Are the alien? I still can't believe the aliens are magic, and that their magic is being alien. <laughs> they are on the chart. Just aliens are an innately magical creature, much like monsters are innately magical creatures. <laughs> right. They're just not animals, I guess. <laughs> that is the magic that they have. They are not cuddly little teddy bears, despite their appearances. Now, I do like, though, that when Susie marches right into that clock shop, she gives us a masterclass demonstration of Susie's negotiating handbook. She doesn't give an inch, <sighs> and she gets everything she wants. <laughs> doesn't give an inch and asks for truly ridiculous things. Uh, I think she just happened to walk into an extremely uh, nice and caring clockmaking shop who uh, noticed there was a lot going on with Suze. Yeah, you seem troubled. I like that. <laughs> exactly. And, and also, to be fair, uh, she was sleeping in a grandfather clock, so it's not like it was expensive digs they were putting her up in. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. There's kind of an element of, uh, they know some humility's incoming, maybe. Uh, it was the worst night for sleep ever, according to her. Oh, well. Yeah, well, one of the worst nights of sleep of her life. I was impressed with her self-control. She does not get the broom out to do all of that dusting. She does it by standing on top of the clocks. I guess that is a pretty Susy way to do things. Why not stand on top of the clocks if you can, <laughs> right? Oh my goodness. And speaking of a Susie way to do things, apparently meditation starts with clenching as hard as possible and uh, holding your breath and grunting. I, I, I liked that. That is a very Susie way to approach uh, meditation. She doesn't really have um, 
much in the way of relaxing, usually. But she has all the dedication and energy, right? Like, if she's going to sit and listen to the universe, she's not going to dismiss it, right? That's a classic trope with a character trying to learn how to listen to the world around them for the first time. But uh, Susie has no distractions. She just has the wrong energy. And, uh, sax- or not saxophone, bassoon knows how to direct it. And uh, it's cool to see the way that uh, visually, like, we, we see zoomed up in her clenched, sweaty palm. Oh, disgusting. I hated that so much. <laughs> oh, I loved that. That was so funny. I have right here in my notes, too close on the hand. <laughs> oh, man. But it helps you understand why the grass, with its one little music note, expresses fear. Uh, because that is a fearful place to be in Susie's yeah. sweaty, clammy, clench and fist. I don't know how she was having trouble. She was having trouble ripping it out of the ground at first. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's concerning. A girl's been traveling a long time, eating nothing but bread. I don't think she gets enough protein. <laughs> no. <laughs> Muscle mass must be lacking. That, that, those blood sugar levels are not in... Not in balance. Oh, yeah, that's, that can't be right. I wonder what bread she had on Easter Island. <laughs> what was it with the cloud around Easter Island? What was, it, what was going on there? I guess there's just storms everywhere. Yeah, it looks, it looks more like a hurricane than a tornado, but I guess Mildred branched out in her, uh, in her anger. Right. Although, since there is nobody living on Easter Island at the time, I am forced to assume that Mildred decided to tag this one herself. (laughs) Yeah, that's... I don't understand that. Uh, Yeah, Mildred's not otherwise an ancient phenomenon, so uh, someone someone came by and did that. Or Mildred's just creative. Well, again, that that was part of the running joke of everywhere she goes, she eats bread and sees a drawing of Mildred where they're like, look, her, she did this to us. So I guess they were all hiding, but they came out of their hidey hole long enough to make a make a drawing of Mildred <laughs> on the stone before they went back to hide. You gotta warn those future generations. Mm-hmm. I I really enjoyed the old timey newspaper warning of Mildred. Like, yeah, everything was spelled wrong back then, but they really nailed it. Mildred strikes again. <laughs> also, I love how Susie seems to not really be of her time ever. <laughs> like she always seems to be of the modern times. And like a modern times person who doesn't understand, <laughs> you know, how the S's kind of looked like F's back then. But, I mean, she learned how to read, clearly. <laughs> Did she learn to read from books that look different than that? Uh, yeah, at first she was uh, d- describing it like, oh, I have no idea what these words on this page are. But no, she understands it. It's just hard for her to read. <laughs> I mean, I guess she, she was from the before time. So really... It's not that she's too modern for newspapers, it's that newspapers were too modern for her at the time. She was just a country girl. She, she does come up with headlines, though, as she gives them their yeah. own moniker. <laughs> Lines the size of your own head. Uh, but I, I'm just so glad that uh, we got, A, so much bassoon in this episode, but I also really, really like that bassoon was established earlier as a, as a character who's a who's a big deal for everyone, so that when all the when all the characters here are like, "Oh, bassoon, we love bassoon," it's like, "Yes, we do." <laughs> yeah, that was a cute moment. And bassoon is pretty epic. I mean, he knew the whole time that the that the witch's censer was in their hand, but he doesn't say that. He like lets her feel that out for herself in a quite literal sense. 
He's like, hey, why don't you try grabbing something? You know, get her used to listening to her hand. Yeah, yeah, he's like the ultimate teacher. And of course, he just subtly validates his own teachings to his student as well. I'm just imagining a world where Bassoon is a Jedi Master. That's a crossover we need. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I I could see his, uh, you know, feeling of the Force, for sure. Of course, he, I like his sort of, uh, I love this blend of sort of science and tradition that that Summer Camp Island has. Like, Bassoon is explaining how to connect to the world around him. And, you know, he's not concerned with, uh, and this may be just (laughs) the way it struck me. I don't know that this would strike people this way watching the episode. But I I just like how the philosophy it's kind of showing is, yeah, I, I listen to the world. Every creature has a way to listen to the world and understand the signals it's getting, the vibrations, but, you know, he's not, he's not trying to research what it is, and he doesn't, you know, have any skepticism about it. He's like, he's got his old sayings, the sayings prove themselves out, he consistently protects his plants. Like, I like this uh, sort of demonstration of, you know, he's relying on this, you know, tradition and this, I don't know, understanding that he has about how magical creatures work. It's just, uh, I think it's why it disarms Susie. He's just, he's a disarming guy. And uh, he he has a very uh, good understanding of how to navigate his world, even if he doesn't understand everything. He's got the folksy wisdom and he's got the facts to back it up. Although I am a little surprised that Susie, who was studying so hard for her gibbous right, did not know about the witch's palms being their sensitive to magical reception part. I mean, uh, in later in her later years, we would find that she knows that the palm is where you go to see, oh, you're tapped out on your magic. Yeah, who knows? Maybe that wasn't as common of witch knowledge. Like, maybe the yetis are more in tune with how to feel. Well, people have sayings about yetis. Maybe the yetis just have sayings about their <laughs> observations of other magical creatures. Like, oh, yeah, w- witches are always like, Witches don't seem to understand their palms, right. but they listen to them. Yetis seem to be very good at observing and listening. It fits with their character. They're very in touch with the natural world. I think Bassoon was the perfect guy to give this lesson. Definitely. And of course, in a very unnatural part of the world, we, we hear about the metaphysical reserve <laughs> as the solution to the apparently, well, at least... According to Susie, we're not even sure to believe her yet, the not-dead Mildred, who she thinks she can somehow reach through through the metaphysical reserve. Uh, I wasn't ready to hear those words. Yeah, I love all the witches. They're like, oh my god! And then the Hedgehog is like, wait, what? <laughs> and poor Hedgehog just wanted to have her first day of school, you know? <laughs> and Susie's like, no, we're doing my thing now? <laughs> yeah, and my thing involves words that I, I didn't think I'd ever hear on Summer Camp Island. It's like, what edge of this universe are we getting to? We're going to go to the metaphysical reserve to try to do, uh, well, what exactly? <laughs> uh, if Mildred's not dead, is she, I mean, what does Susie think, you know? I guess we're about to find out. Yeah, man, uh, even, uh, I guess we'll get there when we get there, but ooh, metaphysical reserve. I have so many questions about so many things. Metaphysical reserve as well. Anyway, guys, that's it for us on Storybook Susie. Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. And I'm David. Don't forget to leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. Later, everybody. 
Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com. <laughs>